1: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Zach Valisi. Today on our podcast, President Biden has unveiled his long-awaited infrastructure plan the risks and the potential with New York Times columnist Tom Friedman.
2: Never have more people had access to capital and never have there been more problems to solve. So the raw material is there for a real explosion of creative destruction.
1: Pfizer's vaccines are still proving safe and Johnson and Johnson seems to have contained the jab drama.
2: That
3: lot has itself been quarantined, which is a weird word to use for
1: what
4: you do to a vaccine.
1: Plus, baseball is back. Opening day and the return of sports with Red Sox chairman Tom Warner.
4: The bond that fans have with their local sports team is so strong. And in an era of disruption, sports really is must carry, whether it's the NFL or the uh, NBA or MLB. Those stories,
1: plus Elon Musk has another job to add to his resume. No joke. It's Thursday, the first day of April.
5: April 1st, yes, April Fool's Day.
1: Squawk Pod begins right now.
5: Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin.
3: I'm just trying to make sure I don't get fooled by something now that I've been (laughs) warned. I know, know, I was
5: trying to think of a joke that I could pull over on you, but I knew that you'd be wise to the ways of this. No, I wasn't. Something better than that stupid VW joke.
3: Yeah, I wasn't until I read it, but now you know on Twitter and stuff, I'm gonna take everything with more of a grain of salt. Andrew, do, does the New York Times I'm do anything thinking, uh, April Foolishly oh, or, or anything in the Sorkin household? I mean, you, were you well, aware you know, it was April? It was April first. You know,
6: I I was going to do this a little later because I don't know if she's watching the show, but I think you I think you may know this. Today is my mother's birthday on oh, April Fool's Day. It's oh, always yeah, been the case. Happy birthday, the Sorkin, Mrs. Sorkin. Uh, households so nice. and both of you have met my mother i believe yeah. so happy birthday mom um we love you and this is not an April fool's day joke um she's happy birthday. Uh, she's Andrew. She's, my mom's birthday is tomorrow we
5: always tease her right? that she and, missed no, that's your her grandmother. True calling by a day
3: i'm thinking don't you have a grandmother I, I was thinking yeah. andrew has you yeah. have a grandmother too don't you andrew? i do
6: i do who who turned 103 years old uh that's awesome. uh, two months ago,
3: that is awesome. So uh,
6: very, very yeah, lucky terrible. duck
3: I am to still, I have, to still have a grandmother. Yeah, that is great. You're going to read a story coming up. I was hoping, yep. I was hoping they'd come out for President Biden say that was all an April Fool's joke. What he was talking about yesterday, but I don't think he's done that. This is uh, <laughs> well. All this, let, this, let me tell yeah. you. and Then we can. Yeah. We can, we can unpack it. This, um, tell people ahead of that. This is. If they're waiting for the end where you say, I'm not serious, it's not going to happen. This is for real.
6: Right. Yeah. This is not This is not a Volkswagen-turns-Volkswagen Volkswagen situation. Wish it was. Uh, President Biden outlining his $2 trillion infrastructure plan yesterday in Pittsburgh includes $621 billion for transportation infrastructure, including bridges, roads, public transit, ports, airports, and electric vehicle development. Now, $300 billion would go towards drinking water, infrastructure, broadband access, and electric grids. Another $300 billion would go towards affordable housing and upgrading schools. Uh, And $580 billion would go towards manufacturing research and development and job trading efforts. Here's how the president says he plans to pay for it.
7: We're going to raise the corporate tax. It was 35 percent, which is too high. We all agreed five years ago it should go down to 28 percent but they reduced it to 21%. We're gonna raise it back to up to 28%. No one should be able to complain about that. It's still lower than what that rate was between World War II and 2017. Just doing that one thing will generate $1 trillion in additional revenue over 15 years.
6: And in particular, President Biden also singled out Amazon for not paying federal taxes.
7: In 2019, an independent analysis found that there are 91, let me say it again, 91 Fortune 500 companies, the biggest companies in the world, including Amazon, that use various loopholes so they pay not a single solitary penny in federal income tax. I don't want to punish them, that's just wrong.
6: And in response to that jab, an Amazon spokesperson pointing to the R&D tax credit as a loophole that Congress intended uh, that was made permanent in the 2015 law signed by President Obama, so uh, the beginning of a big debate about not just infrastructure unto itself, but, of course, uh, the tax uh, implications yeah. for corporations. And, of course, later this year, we're expecting to see uh, higher taxes on individuals as well. Yeah. Becky? My biggest problem
5: with with that explanation is, look, if if you think there are loopholes that companies are using. The solution isn't to raise the corporate tax rate and punish the people who are actually paying what they're supposed to be paying. The solution is to tighten the loopholes.
3: Right. Doing that, too, with the global, uh, which is higher than any other, uh, you know, other countries have, have talked about a global, like, AMT, and they talked about, like, 12 right. yeah. percent. Who wants to do 21 percent? We haven't seen
6: the details on this, but but I'm imagining that they probably are going to try to to close, I don't know if we'll call them loopholes or whatnot. Maybe, but- yeah. I imagine there may be an AMT or something in the United States that comes with this 28% uh, as part of it. I, I, you know, we'll, we'll have so, to wait This to see. is what Tighten gets me. Holes.
5: You know, we call them loopholes, but some, sometimes there are things they have asked corporate companies to do. Like, right. are you going to give uh, cuts for research and development? Are you going right. to give cuts for building plants in the United States and employing people here? Right. Do you co- consider those loopholes, or do you consider those things that you are doing to try and motivate companies to spend on the incentives that Washington has deemed important? That's the the problem with it, too. Well, but this is why
6: I think you... But there is an element where you could get to a point where you do have a, um, an AMT of some sort. I, th- I think... That, I don't I don't know. Maybe you'd think that's a fair thing to do. I think at cert- for a certain level of company, bringing in a certain amount uh, of profit, uh, of, of real profit, you would think maybe an, an AMT would, would work. The other thing, and we talked about it, I think, a week or two ago now. Um, just the... And I think you guys actually talked about it. I, I think I watched you guys talking about it because I was away a week ago. You know, you just how much money is... I, I happen to be watching uh, just how much money Why? has been left to, on the sidelines because we don't do audits. We don't do audits properly right. of companies. We don't yeah. do audits of right. individuals. Yeah, we that the there's eva- something we the like a trillion cycle. dollars lying right. around that the if you just went and got evasion. that trillion dollars, you'd be... Exactly. Right. The avoidance versus it's, it's, evasion
3: uh, uh, issue. You guys, were, in fact, you guys it, were
6: talking about in the, in, in the context of avoidance versus evasion. I think that those studies, because I actually went back and looked after I was watching, was I think it's evasion. I think what we're talking about is evasion, and I think we, that we if we had that. an IRS Definitely. that was actually for on the, the ball
3: for the avoidance, you change the law to, to the way right. that it gets to where where the avoidances okay. are being uh, abused. Uh, I, I, one thing, let me just point this out, and and you know the journal has a couple of, and I know it's Rupert Murdoch, blah blah blah, but the journal has a couple of uh, of op eds today they just have some real numbers here and Dan Clifton we have him on a, I'd like to get him on a day to talk to him if we can but this polls very well infrastructure polls very well because we all think roads highways bridges traditional public works polls very well let's do it do you know how much goes towards that you guys out of the 1.9 trillion 115 billion no 115 <laughs> billion 115 billion for the 1.9 trillion goes for what everybody is being sold as well, the infrastructure bill.
5: Look, I, I I would believe infrastructure also includes things like broadband at this point because well, I think it's vitally important it, it, it for it homes does, and businesses does, to have but, good but,
3: broadband. But would, what you think of traditionally as infrastructure? We all hear about. The, he talked about it a lot yesterday. The bridges are falling right. apart. This, uh, I mean, airports too, and that's another 25 billion for airports. You think of that? Ports yeah. and waterways, another 17 billion for that. But we're still talking about. A a small part of the 1.9, and maybe we need uh, charging stations. Jennifer Granholm was going to make that point uh, at Waffle Houses, which I've said they'll pitch in probably too. Uh, Waffle Houses and IHOPs. I think we cover the entire uh, the entire country probably, maybe with a White Castle here and there for lunch. (laughs) Shipments of Johnson and Johnson's vaccine doses are on hold while the FDA investigates a contamination at a production line in, in this country, in Baltimore. The ones made in, that were made over in Europe are fine. The Baltimore plant uh, was run by Emergent BioSolutions. It makes vaccines uh, for J&J as well as AstraZeneca, and workers are accidentally mixed up ingredients. This is not April Fool's, uh, contaminating up to 15 million doses of J&J's vaccine. None of the doses ever left the plant, though, uh, and that lot has itself been quarantined is a weird word to use for what you do to a vaccine. J&J says it will strengthen control over the emergent biosolutions work. By the way, that stock down sharply, down 8% uh, on the news.
5: You know, the good news on this was that they caught it. These controls were in place. They caught this before any of it went out. It, it, it seems crazy, the idea that you could accidentally mix things up and, and ruin 15 million doses. But the good news is they caught it. This wasn't right. like the situation with the... With the Oxford um, AstraZeneca when they were realizing after the fact, after they dosed all those people that, oh, we made a mistake, but it actually turned out to be a, a beneficial one. So how fortunate that we, we came down this path. The good news is the controls were in place and they caught it, it and, and, and it, I think that should make pe- people feel pretty good. It
3: didn't work, or it was dangerous, or both. That's the thing. The, 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 right. the messed up vaccines. Right. Either it, 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 was, it wouldn't work and give you immunity, or... Is it actually harmful? I, I think the former. I think Either one's just, a terrible situation. Either one or, and both would be. You
5: go out and think worse. you're immune. Yeah. We do have some breaking news just out from
8: Pfizer. Let's get over to Meg Terrell. She's got that news. Meg, good morning. Good morning, Becky. A couple pieces of news from Pfizer this morning on its COVID-19 vaccine following up on yesterday's results in 12 to 15-year-olds. The first headline I'll tell you about is that they have data from a trial in South Africa of their vaccine, and it shows very strong protection there. Now, this was a small number of uh, participants, 800 people in this trial. They saw nine cases of COVID in South Africa, but they were all in the placebo group, zero cases in South Africa among people who got the vaccine. Now, they sequenced those cases, and they found that six of nine of them were that concerning B1351 variant. And so early data but really showing potentially strong protection from the Pfizer vaccine against this variant and remember we've seen diminished protection from other vaccines like Johnson and Johnson and Novavax against the B1351 variant and there's so much concern about this the NIH has actually already started a trial updating Moderna's vaccine tailored to that variant these data suggest the original vaccine may be strong enough to cover it. However, uh, science is going to continue, and these are small numbers. Now, the other part of the news from Pfizer this morning is that they have six-month follow-up data on their phase three trial on their COVID-19 vaccine, um, and essentially that's enough data and follow-up for them to file for full approval with the FDA. Now, six months out from the second dose of the vaccine among 46,000 participants, the vaccine efficacy is shaking out to be about 91.3% effective at six months. Against severe disease, depending on how you measure it, it was either 95% or 100% effective in preventing severe disease, guys. So the vaccine continuing to look good, including against these concerning variants. Guys,
5: Meg, that's great news across the board, um, especially the idea that this is uh, stuff that prevents um, infection, even with those variants that are out there. The idea that the efficacy after six months still looks pretty strong, but maybe not quite as strong. Does that lead you to think that, yes, we, we will uh, be, be, end up taking either booster shots or getting the vaccine
8: again on an annual basis? It's really not clear at this point. I was talking to Dr. Fauci about this on Monday. How long do these vaccines look like they're going to last? And he was saying, well, we know they last at least six to eight months, but that's only because that's how long they've been following these vaccines.
4: We don't know
6: how long that 80% is durable. It may drop off a cliff in
4: two weeks or three weeks. The other thing is that even though it's 80% protective, the level of antibody that it induces is
6: far lower than after the second dose.
8: Not everybody believes we're going to have to get annual COVID shots the same way we get annual flu shots. It might be less frequent than that. We'll just have to see how these vaccines hold up and, and how the virus changes. Um, we may end up having to get future COVID shots, and maybe they'll be co-formulated with flu shots, um, but we just don't have those answers yet.
6: Real quick, how long would it take for them to file for um, full FDA approval? How long would it take for the FDA to officially uh, declare it approved. I ask in part because I know a number of business leaders who've been waiting for that, in part because there's been a conversation about whether you could mandate vaccines uh, for return to the office and whatnot. And the view is that uh, as, a, as, a, as an emergency authorization, there's been legal advice for, to some that maybe you can't, but that if it was fully approved, that you could.
8: Yeah, full approval seems to be very important for that. I've talked with legal scholars who don't think that emergency use authorization means that it's illegal for employers to require the vaccination, but it certainly is unpopular. That's something we've absolutely been hearing. In terms of how long it could take the FDA to look at this, typically, you know, it's six to 10 months for an FDA review. However, they've already reviewed a lot of these data on the vaccines. And so, We've heard about Pfizer getting close to filing. We haven't heard about Moderna and Johnson & Johnson. However, analysts I've spoken with think that all of them could potentially be fully approved in the middle of this year. You know, really preparing us for the fall as universities go back and as employers start to bring people back, too.
6: Okay, the one and only Meg Terrell, what a job you're doing throughout this whole whole past year. But
1: thank you again. Next on SWACPOD... Tom Friedman of The New York Times is hopeful about a Biden spending boom.
2: This has got to be about smart capitalism, not democratic socialism, nothing else.
1: Breaking down the White House's $2 trillion infrastructure plan.
2: If it's done right, it can absolutely be a great and necessary investment in the future. My one concern of the plan is that it's got to be a plan to enable capitalism.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
1: You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning,
3: and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. If you're just joining us, it's April Fool's Day. Don't be fooled. Don't, do not be the fool. Do not have something happen to you where you realize, oh, my God, it's April Fool's Day. So just letting you know it's April Fool's Day. We're all susceptible to really looking silly if we believe uh, uh, this something. This is
5: news you can use.
6: I feel like we're going to get gotten not somehow over the next hour.
3: It hasn't <laughs> happened yet,
6: but I feel like no, we're going gonna- to...
3: I, I, you me. know, the producer just said in my ear, we've got to get moving. And that had to be that. That was April. That was April Fool's, wasn't it? I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you kill me.
5: President Biden unveiling a highly anticipated infrastructure plan, saying that now is the time to do something big for an even bigger payoff in the future.
7: If we act now, in 50 years, people are going to look back and say, This was the moment that America won the future. What I'm proposing is a one-time capital investment of roughly $2 trillion in America's future spread largely over eight years and will generate historic job growth, historic economic growth.
5: Joining us now to talk about the president's plan, the economy, and American competitiveness is New York Times columnist Tom Friedman. Tom's latest piece is The Biden Boom. The president has a chance to supercharge the economy. And, Tom, uh, welcome. It's good to see you.
2: Good to be with you guys.
5: So, I, I think the headline and what we just read about your latest piece is enough to kind of see where you come down on this. Biden says that this is an investment in the future, and it sounds like you agree with that.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think if it's done right, Becky, it can absolutely be a, a great and a necessary investment in the future. Um, you know, it, it, particularly if we keep it. Tightly focused in two ways. The first is let's focus on roads, uh, rural broadband, um, ports, airports—the things that are actually the enabling tools of the economy. That would be the first thing. You know, uh, the second is on um, making sure that we use the government um, in the right way here, which is that the government enable the private sector, uh, especially in the energy area, and and where basically. The government uses its buying power to buy power to to basically bring technologies down the cost-volume curve, and then you let the private sector develop these technologies um, with the right performance standards. It's that combination that works best. We got we got to get each side uh, doing the right thing. My, my one concern of the plan, and this was what my column was about yesterday, is that it's, it's got to be a plan to enable capitalism. If you're if you want to have a green economy. There's only one way you can have a truly green economy, and that's if you have scale. And the only thing that gives you scale is the market, the private sector, driving these things forward. So if each side plays their right role, I think this uh, has great potential.
5: Tom, I think what you just laid out is is something that most people would agree with, particularly the idea that we have got to spend on on bridges, on roads, on ports, on airports, and on broadband. We've been talking about that since uh, the show started at 6 a.m. This is a long overdue investment, something that we've been hearing about for years and years, something that has never happened. But I think people would take issue with whether this bill does everything that you just described, whether this bill lays it out the right way and whether you really need north of two trillion dollars to make this investment happen.
2: Yeah. And I think that's all I I see this, you know, back as the the government or Biden's opening bid. Um, uh, I think it will be um, whittled down and reshaped both by uh, Republicans and I think by uh, conservative Democrats uh, as it's debated more publicly. So he's he's, uh, he's he's asked for the moon, but I think there'll be and should be and needs to be uh, a real debate about how we how we focus this and make sure we get the absolute bang for our buck because Becky we're not going to get another chance to do another two three trillion dollar plan so we we really have to get this right.
5: You just said we're not going to get another chance to do a two to three trillion dollar plan. How how is this going to be whittled down if we're still talking about spending two to three trillion dollars? And by the way, this is just the down payment on infrastructure. They've got another one waiting in the wings that's going to do all kinds of things, propose things for childcare and, and, and far beyond.
2: Yeah, I, for my money, you know that should be down the road right now. Um, because uh, to me, you really want to focus on the truly enabling infrastructure that can launch the private sector, that this has got to be about smart capitalism, um, you know, not democratic socialism, nothing else. That, that's, that's my approach. That's what I will be arguing for. I'm, I'm not the author of the bill, but, mm-hmm. but that's what my column was trying to advocate. You do that right, Beck. I think this moment has great potential because think about it. Ne- never have more people had access to um, cheap, high-powered computing through the cloud than they have today. Never have more things been digitized. We, we digitized like 10 years worth of things in the last year. Um, never have more people had mm-hmm. access to cheap capital and never have there been more problems to solve. So, you know, the, the, the raw material is there for a real explosion of creative destruction. If we make sure the government doesn't overwhelm it or, or doesn't shortchange it, it's got to be done right. And that's what the debate's going to be about. You guys will be out there. I'm going to be out there. The lawmakers are going to be out there. Many people are going to weigh in, and and I think we all have to, to make sure we get this as as absolutely right as possible.
5: The way things usually get done in Congress is you keep putting more things in to scratch somebody else's back, to convince them to vote for a bill, even though there are things in it that they don't like. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a real process legislatively succeed where you say, okay, what what you just laid out is a very sound foundation for things, but when you do that, you lose the Elizabeth Warrens, you lose the Bernie Sanders. If you strip out some of those things, uh, and, and, and honestly, we've all watched this process take place. The way it sure. usually works is to make sure that Manchin's going to vote for this. There's going to be a whole bunch of things that he wants, um, you know, for manufacturing in his areas, for places that are coal manufacturing areas. That we've already seen it with some of the 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 proposals that have been brought up to make sure that there's made in America and more manufacturing that's taking place there to ensure that he will vote for things that he has said he won't vote for. And I can see that playing out, you know, dozens of times as this bill kind of works its way through.
2: Yeah, look, we're going to see the full messiness of um, uh, of pork laden democracy. There's no question about it. We always have. But I wasn't around in the 50s when we did the interstate highway system. Um, uh, but I'm sure there was plenty of that going on uh, at the time, too. But it did give us the kind of uh, transportation infrastructure that we have today. So you just hope the waste um, uh, can be kept down to a minimum. But this is really important. Um, you know, China uh, is, is um, hurtling ahead on, on, on these same kind of technologies. And um, uh, if we want to be competitive, we're going to have to take this very, very seriously. And, um, there, there, there are ways of funding it too, which I would be looking at. You know, um, there's no gasoline tax in here. There's no carbon tax. There's only tax on, on basically yeah. corporate earnings. I and mean, we haven't raised the, the gasoline tax, Becky, since 1993. And it wasn't, it wasn't even indexed to inflation. So I, I, I just think right. I look at this as the opening of the discussion. And, um, the president's asking for the moon. Great. Um, but I, I, I I'm, I'm going to do what I can to, help help it be an intelligent discussion and and, and not, um, some pie in the sky thing.
3: We're going to raise zero gas taxes when everybody's driving an EV, Tom.
2: Well, everyone, it's going to be a while, Joe. I wish everyone were driving an EV, but it's (laughs) going to be a while. You know what I mean? How do we, we, the richest
3: Tesla, the richest Tesla drivers use all our roads and our bridges and they aren't going to pay anything in a gas tax.
2: But, um, there's, there's ways to get around that. You know, Joe, I think uh, one is a carbon tax. So, um, uh, it, it it's going to be a long time before um you know we're all driving uh EVs so do
3: you think it's a good um, idea that 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 we still force that that's the journal's piece today Tom that we force feed consumers EVs even when they're not still not really affordable for most people and they're uh, they don't make economic sense or a lot of times if you're not in an urban area it's tough even you know, to to envision if you have a long commute that you could use one.
2: Yeah, here's what I think, Joe. I think this is a case where you use, again, the buying power of the government to drive down that technology down the cost volume curve. We've done that before in the past. Okay, Maybe a mandate that every government vehicle is going to be an EV. You get the cost down where it can scale. I mean, you know, Chevy, the the Chevy Volt, you know, GM has, has, you know, announced they're going deep into EVs. I don't think they're doing that as a Uh, as as just some, you know, green, goopy charity measure. I mean, I think they really see the future there. The key is use the government's balance sheet to drive costs down and then let the private sector take over. Right,
3: And Volkswagen, too. Yeah. Volkswagen.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Sucker. (laughs) It's not Volkswagen, sucker. Tom, thank you. I I think we need you to keep shining a spotlight on this, the things that make sense, the things that don't, because uh, it's going to get complicated. It's going to get ugly. But um, thanks for your time, and we'll talk to you soon about it.
1: Always anytime, Beck. Thanks. It's opening day for the MLB. Boston Red Sox chairman Tom Warner couldn't be happier to bring fans back to the field. I'm
4: hopeful that by August, there will be a return to normal at Fenway Park. I would certainly hope that by the end of the season, stadiums will be at full capacity.
1: And another job for Elon Musk?
4: I just
5: like that they had to verify that this was not an April Fool's
6: joke. Right. He's a busy man, Elon Musk. He is. Squawk Pod will be right back. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest,
7: but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.
1: Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Red Sox fans are returning to Fenway Park for the first time in over a year. Fenway is limited to 12% capacity, and fans are required to complete a health screening survey prior to entry on the MLB Ballpark app. To put that in perspective, about 4,500 fans will be in the stands, while the stadium usually hosts 40,000. Today, the Red Sox will also welcome over 100 healthcare heroes through a partnership with Dell Technologies, Boston Red Sox chairman and legendary TV producer. He brought Roseanne and that 70's show to the air. Tom Warner joins us to discuss how he plans to keep fans and players safe with the return of live sports events. Here's Joe.
3: It's opening day, reopening day for the MLB this season shaping up uh, to be a step towards uh, a return to normal. Fenway Park opens this afternoon. At 12% capacity, but at least it's 12%. Joining us now is Tom Werner, chairman of the Boston Red Sox and Fenway Sports Group. Tom, I was laughing a little bit because these last couple of days, there's nothing going on. No, You know, the NCAA, you know, that's, that's not happening, even the, the ladies. So I looked at today, I had like 15 things I looked at. And I know you're, uh, the Red Sox are starting out with the, uh, the Orioles. The, the over-under is 9.5, Tom. Uh, we're, expecting <laughs> yeah. some, we're expecting some big things. Uh, offensively from the Red Sox this year. Okay. Will we see that?
4: Well, we had a great spring training. Uh, we're coming off of a somewhat mediocre season last year, but uh, I think we've upgraded our our staff and our squad. And, uh, you know, baseball in spring is always a, an exciting uh, combination. I'm really excited that we're having fans at Fenway Park. I know you mentioned that uh, we only have 12% capacity, but we haven't had fans at Fenway Park in 18 months. So, I'm excited about uh, opening day.
3: Uh, yeah, uh, you know, trending. A lot of people say they couldn't sleep last night. It's always a great, uh, a great thing. And, you know, the baseball season was played last year, but it will be great to get back to uh, hopefully 162 games. And uh, are there still seven-inning doubleheaders, Tom? Is that still going to happen? Yeah. And that was a great idea, putting someone on second base, right? Is that mm-hmm. not a great idea in, in an extra innings game?
4: I think that we've made some improvements to the, the content of the game, and I think we're going to continue to make more improvements. But I'm a big fan of uh, seven-inning doubleheaders, and uh, obviously I'm concerned about pace of play, and I think that that's a good step forward.
3: When do you expect uh, comps to be similar to, to what we were used to? Well, it won't be this year, obviously, at 12%, but vaccines are going out. By the end of the year... Where do you think we'll be in terms of, of the stadium?
4: I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm hopeful that by August uh, that uh, there will be a, a, a return to normal in, um, in, uh, at Fenway Park and other venues. Uh, I, you know, I certainly don't have a crystal ball, but we're hoping that, uh, as you said, the vaccine rollout continues to be uh, expeditious. And uh, I would certainly hope that by the end of the season, uh, stadiums will be at full capacity.
3: You saw the, the NFL's streaming news and just the overall news of what sports content is worth. Baseball is a little bit different. There's a lot more, obviously, but I think baseball might even be better in terms of local markets. Are you going to be able to cash in on, on I mean, the, the, sport, the mm-hmm. sport itself, on just the voracious appetite for, for live events?
4: I do think that uh, the, the bond that, uh, that uh, fans have with their local sports team is, is so strong. And in an era of disruption, uh, sports really is must carry, whether it's the NFL or the uh, NBA or MLB. And uh, I'm looking forward to a return to normal because the uh, relationship that uh, people have with uh, their, uh, their local sports team is so strong that uh, I'm excited about uh, you know, seeing those returns. Are you, Tom, are you cautiously
3: optimistic about the safety protocols that that are put in? Will will not cause the, the big long quarantines and and you know rescheduling games, canceling games? Are we beyond that yet in terms of the pandemic? Do you think, or will will we see that scattered uh, cancellations and uh, players being in quarantine, things like that?
4: Well, I certainly think that uh, we've uh, we've gone beyond where we were. Uh, six months ago, the protocols in baseball are very strong. The players are uh, are heeding them. Uh, they're quite extensive, but uh, sure, I think there might be an occasional outbreak. But I do think that uh, it will be a, a rare event if uh, some games are canceled.
3: How's the labor situation? We, do we have years and years not to worry about uh, things like that? Is it uh, a lot of harmony between owners and players and and salary caps and everything else? What what what? What has been your experience with the Red Sox this year?
4: Well, I think it's in everybody's best interest to come to a, an agreement with the players. I know that there are conversations already starting between the commissioner and uh, and uh, Tony Clark, and uh, and I expect that uh, we'll we'll come to a, a resolution. It's in nobody's best interest to uh, to have uh, the business of baseball be on on uh, the front pages, and and you know the baseball is a thriving business. Uh, uh, before the pandemic, it, uh, I think revenues in baseball were above $10 billion, and uh, it's going to continue to grow, and, and it's in everybody's interest to resolve any of their disputes uh, quickly and uh, quietly.
3: Do you guys sit around uh, and gals sit around talking about digital and, and how to, to maximize the, in the new media world that we're in, and even, I don't know, gaming yeah. I all I don't want to bring up Pete Rose, but I, I, I like, I think it's fun to try and figure out baseball. I never win, but I think it's fun to try and figure out how to, how to bet on baseball. That's going to, that's going to be incrementally better. I think as, as that expands, right?
4: Well, we're certainly interested in finding the, the fan, the consumer, wherever he is, whether he's watching baseball on satellite or cable or his mobile phone. And, uh, you know, I know that there's going to be a lot of direct to consumer initiatives. Um, but, uh, you know, wherever the 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 fan is at, hopefully uh, we'll find he or her he or she there. Yeah.
3: We, we uh, who's pitching today? Because I I did I did look at the Red Sox and I'm planning on, you know, I I don't know Baltimore. Are, are they any better this year? I I can't, I, I, <laughs> I I I should recuse myself because I do I did put three dollars on on the Red Sox and I took I actually did take the under. Uh, do you well, think you're I'm, gonna? I,
4: as you know, I can't bet on baseball, but I think Nate Evaldi will pitch a great game today, and uh, and we'll be off to a good start. And offensively, you're
3: there were some shortfalls last year. I used to think to, I think of the Red Sox, and I think of I don't know. I just think of a lot of runs, and that didn't happen as much as as I had hoped last year. It's going to happen this year.
4: We're going to be uh, strong offensively, and hopefully better defensively. Okay.
3: Any opinion on whether the Reds are going to be any good this year? We got to go, but. The, last the Reds questions. are going
4: to be good, yeah. <laughs> and, and the Red Sox will be good. All right.
3: All right. I wish we had more time. Got some other teams to ask you about. I've, uh, the Yankees have a lot of offense. Anyway, thank you, Tom Warner. Good luck. Good. We'll be watching Fenway. I like saying Fenway. It just makes me feel good for some reason. And we we'll up and see it soon. All right. We will.
5: Elon Musk has been nominated to join the board of directors at Endeavor Group Holdings. That's the company that owns the UFC, the Miami Open, New York Fashion Week and the Miss Universe pageant, not to mention all of the people that company represents. The company began as a talent agency started by Hollywood agent Ari Emanuel. It's now planning to go public and it wants Musk to be one of its 11 directors. Musk will still need to be elected to the board. Investors in Endeavor, including Elliott Management and Silver Lake Partners, confirmed that the nomination of Musk is not an April Fool's prank. So there you go.
3: Andrew, and I don't think that's not your your agent, Beck, but WME Endeavor no, is, is our uh, agent. And, and Ari, he's like, uh, remember Johnny Carson? Well, that's a long time ago. We used to talk about bombastic Bushkin. And so I always call Ari that sometimes, bombastic uh, Bushkin. But, entourage. Uh, yeah, yeah from, from entourage, obviously, mm-hmm. but some of the stuff that we, we didn't mention, they're buying all of UFC. And UFC, I guess we didn't understand what a cash generator that was and how well it would do during the pandemic, because it did. And it really helped uh, Endeavor, uh, which I, I don't know if you'd say it went through a difficult period, but, you know, they made a lot of acquisitions. Remember, Andrew, planned to go public and it was before the pandemic and the IPO market dried up. It dried up very quickly and Endeavor did not, uh, you know, the the environment wasn't, conducive to going public. So they pulled that, that offering and they did have some debt. And, you know, a lot of the partners were promised uh, stock and a way of monetizing some of, of the, the the holdings in the company. And it was a bit, a bit of a setback because of market conditions more than anything. So now able to go back and a much better and, uh, and time. And it's for- so
6: fascinating that the UFC piece of it has actually been the outperformer. Because if you remember what happened when, the, when COVID first hit, and all of a sudden, there were questions about what was happening uh, or what would happen to, to Endeavor. Part of it was this view that nobody would ever come back to events. that right. UFC, they, they doubled down on U, UFC and that actually that was going to hurt other parts of the business. Uh, of course, other parts of the business hit by the fact that, that movies um, you know, right. weren't being made and, and the like. So, right. But it's so interesting sort of how all these things come full circle and almost counterintuitively so, um, given where people's heads were at the beginning of this and where they are now, and that's almost happened across the board uh, yeah. in the business world dur- during the I just like
5: that they had to verify that this was not an April Fool's joke that Elon Musk Price. would right. be Elon joining Musk. the board. That, Didn't that occur to me, the but head-line. probably a good question to ask.
6: Not
3: the yeah. IPO. The Elon Musk uh, became a headline. But they also have right. some other stuff, too. Uh, you know, rodeos and, and all that stuff. But I actually rented one of those, the Conor McGregor and I lost money. Uh, on that one but uh, it's pretty compelling uh, so here's,
6: but here is the question if you are a shareholder of Tesla or a shareholder of SpaceX uh, or a shareholder of um, a privately of the boring company I don't know if they, they've actually sold are, are yep. you happy that he's joining another board he's right. a busy
3: man Elon Musk he is he's, got, he's multi-talented I mean
6: even just tweeting is a job unto itself yep
1: that's Squawk Pod for today On our rundown tomorrow, we have a very special interview with who might be Squawk Box's biggest fan. And he's a teenager.
5: First of all, I got to ask you, how old are you?
1: I'm 15.
5: How in the world do you do what you do? CNBC is basically
6: everything, (laughs) to me. CNBC, I love it.
1: Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.